Hey sister, it is another episode of When Marriage Hurts Podcast. I am so glad to be here with you today. And today we're going to be continuing on the topic that we um, discussed last week, which is, is God really unquestionable and how questioning God can actually strengthen your faith. So we're going to look at a couple of case studies from the Bible today to um, really see if there is any good to questioning God and to, to really take a critical look at that myth that is widely believed um, that we should never ever question God or ask him um, questions. So that's what we're going to be doing today. We're going to be looking at real life examples in the scriptures and hopefully um, find another way that we could strengthen our relationship with God. So sit tight, don't go nowhere, and I will be right back after this. Hey sis, welcome to the When Marriage Hurts podcast. I'm your host, Ola Davis. My mission is to help Christian women in painful marriages become aware of the marriage lies our society and religion has programmed our heads with. Are you tired of marriage advice that always blames you for whatever goes wrong in your marriage? Have you attended all the marriage seminars seeking help only to be blamed and shamed for your marriage problems? Has your marriage become the source of your greatest pain? Have you lost hope of being happily married? Are you just hanging in for the sake of your kids? I've been there before. I know what it is like to feel alone in marriage, yet feel trapped by the wedding vows that I made. Together, we will discover scriptural truths that set us free from the pain so that healing can begin. Oh yeah, let's shake some tables. Welcome back. Um, welcome back to the show. My name is Ola Davis, here with another episode. And like I said in the intro, we will be continuing from where we stopped last week, still speaking on the same subject. I promise that we're going to take a look at at least a couple of real um, examples in the scriptures of people that really, um, people that not only question God, but really told God how they felt <laughs> without any um, fear of um, retribution. And we'll see how that worked out for them. Now, first of all, why are we even like discussing the subject on a podcast that's about being in a painful marriage or being in an abusive marriage? Um, it's because when you are in a very painful marriage, there's a lot of grief that comes with that. There's something that dies on the inside of you. Now, this isn't something that happens overnight. It's a gradual thing. It's a gradual process. So there's this dying on the inside that happens when you're in a painful marriage, there's this uh, grief that comes o- over you over a period of time. 
And as a person of faith, you, you know, our faith is what anchors us in life or it is what should anchor us in life, right? Um, when you don't really have, when you have a lot of questions, but not a lot of answers to your questions and you're not able to take that to God, you're not able to take your grief to God. You're not able to really express yourself. Like you really feel like on the inside to God and you have religious people telling you, oh, no, don't say that. Oh, no, don't do that. Oh, don't feel that way, (laughs) right? Like you're not, you don't even feel, you're not even permitted to feel the way you feel. It creates a lot of turmoil on the inside. But because we've, a lot of us have been um, raised by religion to believe that this is how we should be. This is what it means to be a person of faith then it leaves us scrambling for for ways to really express that grief, right? But religion doesn't give us a lot of room to do that because we're made to believe that God doesn't want us doing that and that there could even be repercussions to doing that, right? So that's why we're exploring this topic today. Let's see if what we've always thought is true is actually true according to scriptures let's see what god really thinks about it there's what we think about it there's what religion thinks about it let's see what god really thinks about it or how god approaches this issue so let's get going so essentially we are shaking that table of Never question God. Remember last week we talked about this whole concept of what the Yoruba people call KBOC, and they referred to God as one of the ways they referred to God is is KBOC, which is like um, the way they address kings in that culture. Um, but KBOC literally means the one that cannot be questioned. So that's what we're questioning. In today's episode, all right. The first, so I have two examples to talk about on today's episode. Um, I'm not sure which one I should talk about first. I guess it really doesn't matter. Um, so first, I'll talk about Jesus. Yeah. Um, so you know, we're not just talking about questioning God. We're talking about taking one's grief to God, not just shoving it down, not just. Um, busting it up, believing that expressing that gr- grief is a sin. No, we're talking about really expressing that grief, really taking it to God. You know, we're talking about trashing all those ideas of, oh, no, 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 like you lose someone in your family. Oh, no, you don't have to. No, don't even say a thing. Just keep quiet. God knows you know, God knows best. God knows why he has let this happen, right? No. So that's what we're questioning. Let's look at Jesus. And, you know, what better example than Jesus? Jesus was God made in the flesh himself. He lived a perfect life. He carried out his ministry here. 
and it fulfilled purpose, right? Okay, so you might be wondering, well, didn't Jesus always submit to the Father's will? Like, did he ever question God or did he ever even have grief (laughs) to take to God? Okay, so I am going to say yes, yes, and yes to all those questions, right? And it's right there in the scriptures. When Jesus was coming to very close to the end of his ministry here on earth, when he was getting close to that time that he was going to go to the cross, right? Like he had told his disciples on multiple occasions, this is what's going to happen. I'm going to um, be crucified. I'm going to resurrect on the third day, blah, blah, blah. So we kind of knew this is all life, right? It wasn't something that was creeping up on him as a surprise. But when the time actually came, the Bible makes us to understand that he took a few of his, of his disciples and they went to the Garden of Gethsemane, right? And he starts praying. And is not just praying, is crying. And he isn't just crying, he is in such agony, right? Like, I I don't even want to minimize Jesus's experience by saying he was crying because it was a lot worse than that. He wasn't just crying or weeping. He was in such agony that the Bible says that the sweat that was that that was coming out of his body was actually blood. I'm not making this stuff up. <laughs> like it's in scriptures, you can look it up. You can google it Jesus and get to many. Like it would bring up, you know, all the passages of scriptures that actually describes um the that describes Jesus's experience in the garden of Gethsemane. So there is that level of agony and grief that makes a man sweat blood. And this was Jesus's experience. And he prays and is like, God, he says, Father, let this cup pass over me. But then he says, not my will, but let your will be done. Now, he hasn't even gone to the cross yet, but he's overwhelmed by what's going to happen to him on the cross. And not just what's going to happen in the sense of, oh, he's going to be killed. It's really about the fact that he's going to take on the weight of the sin of the world on his shoulders on the cross. And that's just overwhelming to even think about, not to think of going through, right? So we can see Jesus taking his fear, taking his grief, taking that agony to God in prayer, right? Now I know, you know, is is that that's just prayer, right? It 
it doesn't really have um you might be wondering well he wasn't really questioning god well we're still coming to that <laughs> we're coming to get to that so it goes from that um to being tried right and then to being sentenced to the cross and then it goes to the cross and you know before he dies before he takes his last breath the scriptures say something that is very very interesting and i think that we tend to just gloss over it when we read the story the bible says jesus cried out and said my god my god why hast thou forsaken me so this is jesus christ the son of god who knew why he was here the whole time like jesus wasn't confused about his purpose here on earth Jesus was never confused about, oh, am I supposed to have like a 50-year ministry? No. Jesus knew exactly why he was here. He knew how long he was going to be here for. And he knew how things were going to go. He knew, I mean, when Jesus was on the cross, he didn't. He wasn't confused about whether he was going to resurrect on the third day or not. He knew that. So it makes you wonder, like, if Jesus knew that this wasn't going to be the end of him and he was going to rise up, why did he feel that way, right? Because at that point, he was human. He was human. It's just the same way that knowing God has a wonderful plan for you, right, doesn't mean you're not going to feel like crap when you're going through crap. Knowing that God has a wonderful plan for you, for your future, does not mean that you wouldn't experience grief or agony when you're in a painful marriage. Okay? All right. I think that's a whole other message by itself. But the point I'm making here is that Jesus didn't just stay on the cross and bottle up his feelings. He didn't just stay there on the cross and keep his mouth shut. He didn't just stay there on the cross and look at his disciples, right? And say, guys, I've always told you this is how it's going to be and it's happening right now. You know, don't feel bad about it. No. <laughs> like you would think that's what Jesus would do, right? Like you would think Jesus should not have been focused on himself. He should have been looking at his disciples and be like, and just, you know, continue to preach to them from the cross and say, guys, don't worry. I'm going to be, I'm, I'm going to be raised up three days from now. Don't worry about it. Don't even be sad. You would think he would be in a place to just encourage them, right? But no, Jesus was dealing with his own grief on the cross. Actually, he was dealing with the grief of the whole world, actually. But you understand what I mean? He was he was going through such agony at that point that he didn't quite have the strength to be preaching or encouraging his disciples. Like he had done all of that stuff before he went to the cross. 
So we see Jesus at this point. He lets out that cry loud enough for those around to hear him. So he wasn't just muttering under his breath. He lets, and I'm I'm so glad that the, the Bible records this. I think it is incredible. It's wonderful. It's so awesome that the Bible records this for our own benefit. For me, it's so encouraging to see that this is something that Jesus also went through with all his anointing, right? That he had, he, he was in this place of grief and agony and he expressed that to God. And he asked this, he questioned God, basically. Like, this was not a cabiesy moment. This was a moment of, oh my God, why have you forsaken me? It wasn't a moment of, oh God, I know you would never forsake me. And I'm not bashing that. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that. I'm just saying there are times that it's really okay to say God why have you forsaken me? I feel so forsaken right now. Like, I feel like you're so far away from me. You know, religious people want to be like, don't say that. God is always, no, it's okay. It's okay. When you feel like he's not there, when you feel like, oh God, I feel like you let me down. I feel like you haven't been true to your promises. Now, It might be a whole lot of garbage that we're saying, right? But that's how we're feeling in that moment. And it's okay to be that vulnerable with God. God actually cherishes that. If Jesus could cry out from the cross and say, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? What makes you and I think that if we ever say that, we're going to be struck dead or struck dead? I don't know. Like, if you've been listening to this podcast for a period of time, you know that I I, I don't care too much about grammar, right? So, but why do we think that for us to say that God's going to, like, strike us dead, we're going to get struck with thunder or something, that's just not an accurate image of God. All right, I will go straight to the second case study. So we've talked about Jesus. Interestingly, the second person we'll be taking a look at also has a name that starts with a J, and that is Job. Yeah, Job. You know that story of Job? If you're not familiar with the story of Job, oh my goodness, you should read the entire book of Job in the Bible. J-O-B, Job. You should read Job's story. Um, You know, the story of Job has been taught in different ways, (laughs) okay? But sometimes when we read scriptures, we should just take it at face value. Now, there are times that we glean deep revelations from it, right? But there are also times that we should just read the story as it is and put ourselves in the shoes of the person, that's experiencing whatever experiences they're having at, at the, in the story, right? Because I think p- 
people typically look at the story of Job and is it that they see him as, oh, someone to be emulated or they see him as, oh, someone that's, you know, there's a lot of judgment, right? But today I want us to just look at the story of Job just as it is written in the Bible without any um, without any kind of judgment, right? That's how I believe we can learn from that story. So if you're not familiar with the story, Job was this very wealthy man, very wealthy, you know, has this agricultural business that's booming. I mean, when I say booming, I mean booming. For someone to have more than 10,000 animals, that's, that's wealthy right there, okay? And he also has 10 children, right? And Job is someone that the scripture says he had a lot of integrity and feared God, you know, and someone that walked uprightly. Um, And then he has, like, I don't know, this whole, tra- I want to say tragedy, but it's a lot worse than tragedy. Like, think about tragedy, tragedy raised to the power of a million. That's what happened to Job. Like, I can't even imagine someone having to go through all of that. Um, But before this tragedy happens in the life of Job, the Bible says that Job was someone with integrity that feared God and that his children, he has seven sons and three daughters, and his sons regularly would throw, throw parties, essentially, Parties that would last for days. I mean, if you're if you're the son of a wealthy man, why not, right? They would throw parties that would last for days. Now, the Bible doesn't say anything about maybe Job raised his children to fear the Lord or if his children even knew God. It just tells us that they would have these parties that would last for days. They will all have a good time. And soon as they're done with the, the feasting, Job would offer sacrifices to God because he was essentially afraid that his children might have sinned against God or something, which kind of makes me think that there were some funny things going on at that at, at the parties. Anyways, I don't. That's not the subject of our <laughs> podcast episode today. But he would make sacrifices to God because his thinking. You know, I don't know. My kids may have sinned against God. Let me just offer this sacrifice to cover their backs. Now, essentially, Job was a very religious man. He was a very religious man. And the reason I say that is because he was operating based out of fear. He offered sacrifices based out of fear. I mean, there's so much that could be said about Job. I'm really trying to stay on track here to only talk about the the part of his story that pertains to today's topic. So big, ginormous tragedy happens on all fronts. On the very same day, Job loses all his children, all 10 of them. He gets news that Hey, your children were throwing one of their parties again and the whole house, you know, the whole building collapsed and none of them survived. 
So Job doesn't even get time to process this. And one after the other, bad news keeps coming in. All your kids are dead, all 10 of them. Um, there's another news comes in again, you know, all your shepherds are dead. All your sheep are dead. Like all your sheep are dead. The shepherds, your hired shepherds, all of them are dead. All your, essentially his whole business collapsed the same day all 10 of his kids died. So that's, that's some serious tragedies and understatement. Like how many people would even survive that kind of attack upon their lives? They'll probably have a heart attack. And the Bible says that Job just says what a religious person would typically say. So Job says something like, oh, the Lord gives, the Lord takes, blessed be the name of the Lord. Oh, come on. Who says that when you've just lost 10 kids? 10, oh. Like losing a child is enough for most people to lose their minds. And then someone loses 10 in the same day, loses their entire business, loses their entire investments, also loses their employees. That's an aspect we don't even, people don't even talk about. That is so devastating. And then all it says is, you know, the Lord gives, the Lord takes, blessed be the name of the Lord. Uh-uh, uh-uh. I don't know about you, but I don't think that's coming from deep within his heart. I think that's the religious side of him just saying that. That it just doesn't sound super authentic to me. And then the Bible goes on to make us understand that after that, Job's health was now being attacked by the enemy. And he's covered with boils from the crown of his head to the sole of his feet. Like he's covered in boils. There's a part, there's a, there's a portion in the book of Job that's, that Job himself says that his body is covered in maggots and scabs. Like, you, even imagining that makes me want to throw up, okay? So he's in such agony, not just mentally, but physically as well. So now his health is being attacked by the enemy. And the Bible says uh, Job has these three close friends that heard about everything that was happening to Job. And they came over to comfort him. And um, they just sat there with him. Like everybody just sat in silence. Because like what do you even begin to say to someone who's experienced such devastating events in their lives in such a short period of time so the bible says they sit there in silence for seven days for like an entire week nobody like this friends don't say not they just sit with him in his pain and they just sit there they're not talking job isn't talking and I've always wondered what must have been going through Job's mind in that one week period. But, you know, we don't have to try and imagine imagine what was going through his mind. 
because at the end of that one week period, Job actually speaks. And what it speaks is, it's just mind boggling. Like after a week of silence, Job opens his mouth and he doesn't talk about the Lord gives and takes, blessed be the name of the Lord. No, he's done with that. He's done with that religious stuff. Job opens his mouth and he's like, cursed be the day that I was born. (laughs) Cursed be the day that I was born. And he starts, Job starts saying crazy stuff, right? Like what you would actually expect a normal human being to say when they've been hit with such devastating events in their lives is that saying stuff like why was i even born like why did i not die the day like why did my mother not just lose me the day that i mean was the point in growing up having everything that i've have having god bless me with all this stuff for this to happen to me like what is my life about right now like my life is meaningless it is worthless like job just goes on and on and on and i'm going to read some direct quotes from bible from the bible for you to actually know some of what job says so that i'm not just paraphrasing right okay so from Job chapter 7, verse 11. Job says, I cannot keep from speaking. I must express my anguish. My bitter soul must complain. Yeah, it's a sin to complain, or at least that's what we're told. Um, And yeah, complaining isn't a super healthy thing to do. But when you've just lost your 10 kids, your entire livelihood, your employees, and now your health is being attacked as well. Yeah, I mean, you can't really, no one can really say you shouldn't complain, right? <laughs> so Job says, my bitter soul must complain. I must express this anguish. And then in verse 15 and 16 of that chapter 7, Job says, I would rather be strangled. I would rather die than suffer like this. I hate my life and don't want to go on living. Oh, leave me alone for my few remaining days. Now he was addressing his friends, right? Like you guys just stop the rubbish you've been saying and just leave me alone for my few remaining days. I just want to die. I really want to die right now. And you can see this is... at. Job is getting suicidal at this point. He's he's super depressed and super suicidal. He's talking about, I would rather be strangled. I would rather die than endure this. And even though my experience is completely different from Job's, but I remember feeling this way too. When I was so overwhelmed and overcome by my painful marriage and I was at a point where I was just like I would rather die than live to see another day I would rather die than suffer like this living became very painful waking up in the morning 
opening my eyes and see that I'm still waking up on this planet Earth became a very painful experience. And that's what Job is going through right here. And then it, in verse 20 of that Job 7, it says, if I have sinned, now he's talking to God. It's like, if I have sinned, what have I done to you? So essentially he's questioning God here. He says, if I have sinned, what have I done to you? Oh, watcher of all humanity, why make me your target? So at this point, Job feels like what's happening to him is actually God doing all this stuff to him. Like he didn't really see it from the perspective of the enemy is doing this to me. He's seeing it as God, why are you treating me this way? Now we can argue all day long about whether it was God doing that to him. Of course, we know that it wasn't God. It was the enemy. So in some ways, Job was ignorant. So even whether it was like people preach about this story and they just bash Job. But none of those people have lost 10 children in one day. <laughs> none of those people have experienced the kind of anguish or at least not the same events that have happened in Job's life. But when we put ourselves into the shoes of Job, it's not that far-fetched to see why he would feel that way. And of course, because he lived at a time where people thought God was responsible for the bad things that was happening to them. Ironically, thousands of years later, we still live in a time where People think God is responsible for the bad things that happen to them. <laughs> Not much has changed, right? So he says, I'll read again. He says, if I have sinned, what have I done to you? Oh, watch out, all humanity. Why make me your target? Am I a burden to you? So essentially he's telling God, why are you doing this to me? Why are you attacking me? I've been, I've been, you know, righteous. I've been this, I've been that. I make sacrifices to you. I do this, I do that. I serve you. Why are you doing this to me? So we see that Job gets to a point where he couldn't do that old religious crap again because that wasn't who he was. He had to express what was deep on the inside of him. So the whole book of Job, it's a long read, but it's one that's very much worth your time. Something else that Job says in chapter 10, verse 8 and 9, he's still talking to God. It says, you formed me with your hands. You made me, yet now you completely destroy me. This guy is talking to God. <laughs> this guy is actually talking to God. He says, God, why are you destroying me? Remember that you made me from dust. Will you turn me back to dust so soon? Why are you doing this to me, God? So he's not, Job isn't holding anything back here. The book also talks about how his friends were trying to make excuses, saying things like, well, you must have sinned. You must have, your kids must have sinned, which is what still happens today. When bad things happen to good people, people say things like, well, there must be something in their life that we don't know of. People try to make this explanations of, 
Well, God must have done that to them because they must have been living in some sin. Like people just say things they don't know when they should really keep quiet. Rather than people be humble and say, honestly, I have no idea why this is happening in this person's life. They want to feel like they know it all. They want to feel like they can explain it all. And then they say foolishness. So Job's friends are this way too. They, you know, they say those kind of stuff to Job and he just had more anguish, more, more. It was just more, they were causing more grief for Job essentially. So Job says in, in chapter 13, verse 12, he says, your platitudes are as valuable as ashes. Your defense is as fragile as a clay pot. He says your platitudes are as valuable as ashes. So essentially he's saying your platitudes are not valuable. (laughs) And what are platitudes? In this context, platitudes are those things that are seemingly nice, but they really don't bring any kind of comfort. Those statements, those comments that people make when you're going through a tough time and people say things like, it is well. Everything happens for a reason. The Lord gives and the Lord takes. Mm? We cannot question God. Those are examples of platitudes. We can't question God. You just accept it as it is. Everything happens for a reason. Now, some are they are those complete lies? Well, no. But are those are, are those those kind of comments what purpose do they serve in a person's life when they're going through a difficult time job tells his friend he says your your ridiculous comments your platitudes are as valuable to me as ashes and people say these things because they don't know how to handle they don't know how to respond to the pain we're going through But the truth is, sometimes people don't need to respond to the pain we're going through. It's okay to just say, you know, I'm sorry for all that's happening to you and I'll be praying for you. How about just say, I'll be praying for you? Rather than trying to say ridiculous things like, it is well. Um, No, it's not. I just lost my 10 kids. (laughs) Right? So we see here how Job goes from trying to be the religious good guy to just expressing what's deep on the inside of him. And the truth of this passage is that Job, even though Job was an upright man, he was serving God out of a place of fear, not a place of relationship. So he was doing religion and not relationship. Because there's a huge difference. The difference between religion and relationship is when you lose 10 of your kids in the same day and you're like, oh, blessed be the name of the Lord. That's religion. Relationship is the place of you lose 10 kids in the same day, lose your business, lose you're losing your health. And you're like, God, why are you trying to destroy me? Okay, we're getting real there. <laughs> that is the place of that is where 
Job begins to build a relationship. So the whole time, his whole life, he's been doing religion. He's been walking according to these rules, relating to God from a place of fear because he didn't really understand the true nature of God. Because if he understood the nature of God, he would have known that it wasn't God that was behind all his troubles. It was the enemy. At some point when Job actually expresses his grief, his anguish, God speaks. Which is what I find interesting. As long as Job was still saying it is well. Mm, This is God that gives and takes. Let it be the name of the Lord. God didn't quite speak to him. It was when he came in his authentic self and expressed himself before God. That's when the scripture says God speaks back to Job. And God begins to speak to Job. God begins to teach him. God begins to say things that help Job understand that. Even though I've been serving God all these years, I never really knew him. Job begins to understand that I have only been that he had only been um, worshiping God from a place of fear, not from a place of having a personal relationship, not from a place of really knowing him. So in chapter forty-two, verse five, Job makes a very profound statement. Job say he's talking to God here. He says, I had only heard about you before, but now I have seen you with my own eyes. So Job has a aha moment here. Job has a deep revelation where he's like, I, I've only heard about you. I've been coming to church. I've been volunteering in church for you. I've been telling people about you, but now... I have seen you with my own eyes. (sighs) My sisters, we need to get to that place for our healing to begin. As long as you're still bottling up everything that's going on with you, as long as you're still held back by fear from expressing what you truly feel, As long as you keep believing religious lies that tell you that saying such things are going to bring calamity upon you, you can't really get to a place of healing. Healing is a process. And for it to begin, you need to stop bottling up your pain. You need to stop, quote and unquote, keeping it together. We need to, yeah, we need to stop trying to keep things together. We need to, when, when we've experienced such trauma and pain, we need to fall apart before we can be pulled back together. Wow, I think that's powerful. I'm going to say it again. When we've experienced such trauma and pain, we need to fall apart before God can put us back together. Holding it all in, trying to keep it together, 
is just destroying our very core. It's not helping and it's not, God has no such expectations of us. It really doesn't. It's only religion that has that expectation of us to bottle our grief, our anguish, our pain. God has no such expectations. If it was okay for Jesus to cry out on the cross and say, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Then you better be sure that it's okay for you to express your anguish to God in that manner. You had better believe it's okay for you to express your pain to God in that manner. It's okay for you to question God when things do not make sense and you don't know what's going on. Well, I hope today's episode helps someone out. I hope it sets someone free. I hope it sets someone on that journey much needed journey of healing because when you come out on the other side not only will you be healed your your faith will be strengthened you will come to know God in a dimension that you never knew him at before okay I think that is a very good point for us to conclude this episode. I'm so glad that you let me into your lives today. I'm so humbled and honored for every single one of you that listens to this podcast and every single one of you that not only listen once, but you keep coming back. I'm so grateful for that. And I want you to know that I do pray for you. Um, I do pray for people in our Facebook group as well. If you haven't joined the Facebook group yet, I encourage you to come join us. The group is called When Marriage Hurts. And I do post some uplifting and educative messages in there as well. And I do pray for the group. Um, we're also on Instagram now. Ooh, yeah, we're on Instagram and it's also at when marriage hurts on Instagram. So, but Facebook is where we really have that close, close group community where, um, conversations really go on. So join us on Facebook, Instagram, whatever works for you. And let's keep the conversation going. And also, I would appreciate on whatever platform that you might listen um, to this podcast on, I would appreciate if you could leave a review on Apple Podcasts or iTunes, When Marriage Hurts, and just leave a review there. You don't have to use your real name. You could use a nickname or whatever. It would just bless me so much, and I believe it would bless other people to know how this podcast has impacted your life. Um, Until next week, when we meet again to talk about a different topic on the podcast, I want you to know that not only does God love you so much, is with you even in your pain. Never forget that. 
So have a wonderful week ahead. Jesus loves you. Has this podcast blessed you? If yes, please head over to Apple Podcasts When Marriage Hurts and leave a written review for the show. It would be such a blessing to me to know that this show has impacted you in some ways. Also, share this podcast with a friend. Let's spread the word. Lastly, if you would like to be a part of a community of like-minded women of faith who are on a journey to living the best life God has for them despite their marriage challenges, join our Facebook group, When Marriage Hurts. Until next time, remember these words of Jesus. Come to me, all of you who are weary and carry heavy burdens, and I will give you rest.